Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. Good morning. Am I through? All right. Fantastic. Great to be here with you this morning. We started a few weeks ago a new series on the New Covenant, and the series title is called New and Better Covenant. God is a covenant-keeping, covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. He makes promises and He keeps them. And this morning, I'm going to talk about something that um, is so basic to the Christian faith, and yet is there, there's such a need for reminding uh, remembering these truths, and really a lot of these things we'll be talking about over the next several weeks is like that. We're going to be talking about the new covenant forgiveness. New covenant forgiveness, the forgiveness that we receive through Jesus Christ. Today when you leave, I want you not just to utter these words, but to say with excitement and with passion and with life, I am forgiven and I am alive. I am forgiven and alive in Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter says in Second Peter, he, he says, hey, listen, as long as I'm alive in this body, I don't mind reminding you about certain kinds of things. And that's how I feel today. I don't mind reminding you about this today because this is for your life. Forgiveness is something that the youngest child who's ever heard repeatedly the gospel message knows. My four-year-old knows. He, he can say these words, Jesus died for my sins. The question is, are we living in the reality of that? Are we living in the truthfulness of that? Are we alive in this truth? Many, many professing Christians, some here probably, Live with a load of guilt and shame and regret over their past. And it carries over into life. You wish that you could take things back and you can't take things back. Tim Keller said in his book, or in his message, The Centrality of the Gospel, he says, Our biggest problem is that we haven't thought through the deep implications of the gospel. So does forgiveness, is it, should, should it, have a large and powerful and strong effect upon our lives? I think we would all answer, yes, it should. Does it? Does it have a large and powerful and strong and mighty effect upon our lives? Paul says here in this passage, he says, you were once dead in your sins, and having been forgiven all your sins, now you're made, alive in, you're made alive together with Christ. Once dead in sins, now alive with Christ. Paul says that forgiveness is like going from being dead to being alive. Let me say that again. Paul says that being forgiven of all of your sins is like going from being dead to being alive. It's like being raised from the dead. 
There is no ordinary resurrection, okay? It's all extraordinary. If you're here, you believe in Christ, you have a clear conscience of the truth, you're trusting in Jesus, you have been raised from the dead. And that is glorious. You are forgiven and you are free. You see, our our sin problem is deep and it is strong. And so we need something that goes deeper and something that is stronger. We need forgiveness. We need full forgiveness, not partial forgiveness. We need free forgiveness. We, we don't need forgiveness that we need to somehow earn ourselves. We need it to be free. We need forever forgiveness, not just for the end of this life. We need life-giving forgiveness, and that is what new covenant forgiveness is. We need the kind of forgiveness that makes you want to sing, even if you don't have a good voice. Okay? It's always people's excuse. Hey, come on, we should sing about this, right? I, I don't sing very well. Who cares? Right? Have you ever been by yourself and you've been so moved by something, maybe in love with somebody, your spouse, or moved about some spiritual truth and you just burst out? There's a song on the radio and you just burst, burst out singing. That's what forgiveness ought to do in our lives. So here's what I want to do today. I want to step through this passage and answer the question, how does God forgive? How does God forgive? If I were to ask my, my four-year-old son, he would say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He would even say, all my sins are forgiven. But if I were to ask him, how does he do this? Let's unpack this, Silas. He's four, okay? He probably wouldn't be able to do it. But I want us to be able to. When we say, Jesus died on the cross, all of my sins are taken away. I want to I fill that in with uh, powerful truth. So how does God forgive? Then I want to look at the connection between forgiveness and new life. And then uh, I want to spend probably most of the time looking at deep implications of being forgiven and alive in Christ. So how does God forgive? Well, our text tells us God does three things in forgiveness. This passage. First, it says he cancels debt. He cancels debt. Let's read verse 13 in the first part of 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt. This phrase, canceling the record of debt, points to a certificate of indebtedness written in the, own, in, in the criminal's own handwriting that has been canceled. Because of sin, you and I owe God a massive debt. It's massive. It's enormous. One that we could never possibly pay back. In fact, Jesus pointing to this reality in a parable. I think it's in Luke 17. I can't remember exactly where it's at. He gives this parable about this rich man who goes to collect Debts from those who owe him. And he goes to this one servant. And this servant owes him like this enormous amount of money. And the servant couldn't possibly pay him back. Of course, pointing to the debt that we owe to God because of our sin. The burden of debt is, of course, our sin. The debt, but this passage says the debt is canceled. 
the, the phrase cancel means to erase. It means, like, imagine this whiteboard, you know, like as tall as the heavens and as wide as the city of Ankeny, with all of my sins chronicled on it, okay? My sins, and I've committed many of them, on this whiteboard. When this passage says canceled, it's like this whiteboard with all of my sins marked out, each and every single one of them. All of a sudden, it's erased. No longer there. Sins canceled. Sins erased. Sins done away with. Now, let me give you another picture. Let's say, you math wizards, okay? Let's say you owe $10 million, okay? And you make a good wage, but it's not a huge sum of money. You make $50,000 a year. You owe $10 million and 1% yearly interest. Anyone know what that is? It's a lot of money. $100,000 of interest. You make 50000 You owe $10 million. You have no prospects of a large inheritance coming your way at all, okay? 50000 Every year, you get a statement of your debt. It's only more than the year before, right? First year, it's $10,100,000. The next year, it's incrementally more. Imagine one year you get your statement, and you open it up, and you just expect it to be 10 million, whatever, 700,000, or whatever it is. And you open it up, and all of a sudden, you look at the statement balance, and it says, Zero dollars and zero cents. Debt canceled. Paid in full. That is what has happened to your sins. You owed God this load of debt. Ten million dollars worth or ten trillion dollars worth. And he canceled it. Paid in full. Forgiveness of all of our debts. The debt has been canceled. But there's something else that God has done to forgive us. That's part of forgiveness. But there's something else. It also says, the next phrase, verse 14, says um, that there's these legal demands as well associated with the debt. Okay, we have this debt before God, this record of debt, these sins that we've committed written in our own handwriting. It's not that someone else did it. It's that I have committed these sins. That's canceled. But there's also these legal demands associated with our debt. Let's consider our previous example. If you owe this $10 million, you made $50,000, you go into debt further and further every year. But also at the end of 10 years, you knew that if you hadn't paid that full, you and all your family would be thrown into prison for the rest of your lives. Because that's what you, that's the legal consequences of not paying your debt. The scriptures are clear that because of our debt, the debt of our sin against God, that there is punishment that's required. There's punishment that is required. But this passage says that this, he has set aside. The legal demands has been, have been set aside. What does that mean? means they've been carried off. They've been taken away. They've been removed. They've been moved out of the midst of something. And I'm here to tell you, they've been removed out of the midst of the courtroom of heaven through Jesus Christ. Not only is our debt canceled, 
But the punishment that you and I deserve because of our sin has been removed. It's been taken away. It's been set aside. So debt canceled, legal demands set aside. The third thing that God does to forgive us of all of our sins is he handles this once for all at the cross. He handles this once for all. Debt's canceled. How are the debts canceled? Does the God of the universe sweep our sins under the cosmic rug? Does he just say, you know what? Those legal demands, let's just let bygones be bygones. I'm just going to. No, no. No, they're nailed to the cross with Christ. This was handled. Our debt canceled. The legal demands set aside at the cross. It was nailed to the cross. All our sins, the debt and our punishment that we deserved was nailed to the cross. Which is why Paul is able to say, having been forgiven all of our trespasses, every single one of them. It's a past action at the cross that takes care of all of our sins, past, present, and future. Could you imagine if it only took care of our past sins? Oh my goodness, I'd be in trouble. Because I know my own heart. No, it takes care of all of our sins. Through the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross, he handles our sin once and for all. Hebrews chapter 9, verse twenty. I think it's 26, maybe maybe it's verse 27, says that Jesus put sin away once for all by the sacrifice of himself. So we have this debt that we owe to God. He cancels it. It's like Jesus reaches up to heaven when he's at the cross or when he's going to the cross, reaches to heaven. Not a perfect picture, but bear with me grabs that certificate of debt with your name on it, my name on it, with our debts, all of our sins, every one of them. He knows all of them. Not one of them is hidden from his sight. And as they're nailing his hands to the cross, my certificate of debt is being nailed there with him. And so is yours. The punishment we deserve for our sins, namely to be judged and sent to hell forever. Christ took on the cross. First Peter, or excuse me, first John four says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means this. It's this idea that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God in my place for my sins. We sing a song. It's been a while since we sang it. And uh, how deep the father's love. And there's a line that says, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. What was accomplished? Debts paid. Legal demand satisfied on the cross. 
of Jesus Christ once for all. Paul says, having been forgiven all of our trespasses. Which means that the cross was effective for all of our sins. Every single one of them. Why is it so important to say, and I've said this a number of times, once for all, that it completely forgives us of all of our sins? Here's why. Because by human nature, we can say, okay, you know what? Sins are forgiven, but now now I need to add something to this to remain forgiven. And when I blow it, and I blow it, okay, now I'm wondering, am I really forgiven? Am I really forgiven? I need to, maybe I need to sacrifice. Maybe I need to make an offering to God. Maybe I need to get on my knees and grovel. And listen, sometimes when we sin, we should get on our knees and we should weep tears. But somehow we think that we are paying for our sins. We are atoning for our sins when Jesus did it once for all. Once for all, for all of our sins. There is no further sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is, was a perfect sacrifice for the sins of all of his people. So that's how God forgives. He cancels debt. He removes the legal demands, punishment that we are owed because of our sin. And he does this once for all on the cross. He does it once for all. Listen, if you believe in Christ today, you can leave with a clear conscience in regards to your sin today. You really can. That is the gift of the gospel. I'm not saying that we don't work through things, but you need to know there is one place to go with your sin. One only. And it's not to church. Okay? I mean, you can bring your sin to church, okay? But we go to the cross alone. We go to Jesus Christ alone. You don't need to go to a priest to confess. You don't need to make penance for your sin. Jesus Christ was sacrificed once for sin. For all of our sins. All of our debts. And the legal demands against them. So what's the connection between forgiveness? What we just talked about and new life. As I said before, this passage seems to connect so closely that being made alive or when we're forgiven, it's like we're made alive. We're brought from death to life. We are brought from being dead in our sins, like lying in the coffin of our sins with the sentence of death upon us to being made alive. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses is what our passage says to be specific. The forgiveness we are given is of these death-causing sins. So the forgiveness we're given is of death-causing sins. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul that sins shall die. Have you sinned? Of course you have. I have too. Many times the soul that sins shall die. Or Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. And he made us alive. How did he do this? By forgiving 
all of our sins. Not just alive. Get this. Not that he just made us alive to ourselves or in ourselves, but he made us alive together with him. Together with Christ. He brought us back to himself. And I think this kind of explains what it means to be dead in sins. Of course, we know that that doesn't mean we're physically dead because we're walking around and we can do different things. But it means that we are dead in our, when we're dead in our sins, we are dead to God. We are alienated from God. We don't care about him. We want to go our own way. And when we're made alive, Paul says here, we are made alive together with Christ. We are brought back to the God who loves us and who made us and who came and died for us that we might be brought back to him. So if you are forgiven of all of your sins, you've been given a brand new life. Now hear me, not a new lease on your old life, but a brand new life in Christ. When you know the power of the cross to forgive all your sins, you are alive. I mean, you really are alive. All those things, I mean, just the guilt and regret that sometimes loads us down. It just falls off our backs. I think of the song, um, it's a Charles Wesley song. It's an old song. And there's a line that says, uh, my chains fell off and my heart was free. And I rose and I went forth and followed thee. That's what happens when all our sins are forgiven. It's like they just, the chains fall off. And we're able just to live with God and before God and follow after God. Martin Luther, he was a 16th century reformer. Upon coming to faith in Christ, forgiving and justifying grace, when he knew that all of his sins were forgiven. Now, Martin Luther was a really, he was a monk before this. Um, and he was a really good monk as far as monks go. Um, he was very diligent. He was very disciplined. He was, I mean, he did everything. And beyond that, he was the supreme monk in his monastery. And, but he didn't have peace and he didn't have life. And so upon coming to faith in Christ's forgiving and justifying grace, when he knew that he was forgiven of all of his sins and that he stood before God right and approved and accepted through Jesus Christ. Here's what he said. Uh, I lost my spot here. He says, here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. When you're forgiven, you're made alive. You are alive in Christ. And this just comes to my mind. Here, here's reality. Nothing can take it from you. <laughs> Nothing can ever take it from you. A little different context, but Paul says in Romans 8, can anything separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Can anything, can anyone, 
No. Nobody and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. It is as good as gold. It is set. It is finished. It is accomplished. No one can take it from us. Nothing can take it from us. Not even, not even all the powers of hell coming against us can take this from us. It is ours. It belongs to us. All right. I want to spend the rest of our time looking at deep implications of forgiveness. Okay, when we're full, when we are forgiven fully and freely. Why does this matter? So I never want you, I never want any of us here, you or me, to just flippantly say, oh yeah, I know I'm forgiven. I want us to know, wow, I'm forgiven. And here's, here's why that matters. Okay. Here's why it matters. First, it, it affects eternity. Now, you, you might say, of course it affects eternity, but I want, I want to think about this for a bit. It affects eternity, okay? Eternity is at stake in whether or not you are forgiven of all of your sins. If there was one sin you're not sure you're forgiven of, then you are unsure of eternity. That's what's at stake. It affects eternity. Now, listen, this is a truism. This is an obvious truth, but eternity is long. See, we think a hundred years in this life is long. A hundred years in this life is like the blink of an eye, the snap of a, fing- of a finger. It is like a vapor, James says, in light of eternity that goes on and on and on and on. Eternity is really, really long. It will be long for you. It'll be long for your children. It'll be long for your neighbors and your coworkers and the millions of people who do not know Jesus Christ. Eternity is long. It will be long and glorious for those who have been made alive together with Christ. It will be, it will be long and amazing. It will go on forever and ever and ever, and it will never be boring We will enjoy full and free forgiveness with Jesus Christ forever. Conversely, it will be long and horrific for those who remain dead in sins, unforgiven by the king of the universe. It affects eternity. Eternity is long. Forgiveness, therefore, brothers and sisters, is an eternally precious gift from God. And right along with this, it it strengthens our courage when facing death, which all of us will face someday. Because as Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So we can say today, there's therefore now no condemnation. And 10 years from now, we can say there's therefore now no condemnation. And when we are on our, on a hospital bed or lying in bed and and we're about ready to breathe our last, we can say there's therefore now no condemnation. And when we stand before Jesus Christ as judge of the universe, we can say there, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So it affects eternity. 
but it also empowers sanctification. Sanctification is a big word. Here's what it means. To be sanctified is to progressively become more and more like Jesus. Earlier, I said that when you come to Christ, you receive a brand new life, but you and I all know that that doesn't mean everything changes automatically, instantly. So we are forgiven fully and freely forever at one moment, but we are sanctified over the rest of our lives, becoming more like Christ in the way that we actually live and think and do life. So forgiveness empowers sanctification. When you know that God's forgiveness is once and for all and you've received it, it empowers you to live free from sin and more like Christ. In fact, I would say forgiveness is this massive foundation under the rest of our lives that strengthens the entire rest of our lives. It underscores your sanctification. In fact, you cannot make one step of progress in in the way of sanctification unless you know that you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. So it empowers sanctification. But it also does more than that. When we know that God's forgiveness of of all of our sins is full and free, it frees you and I to live an honest relationship with God and others. It frees you and I to live honestly before God. We don't need to put on a front. We don't need to pretend. We don't need to pretend we're somebody we're not. We don't need to pretend we don't have struggles that we actually do have, right? The God of the universe has settled it. He thinks something about you. If you, if you trust in Christ, you are accepted and you are approved by the God of the universe. And so that frees you to be like, you know what? I'm not going to pretend anymore. I'm just going to be honest about who I am so I can actually get the help that I need from God and from others. So it frees us to be real and honest and authentic and have relationship with others. We can confess our sins to God. We can confess our sins to others. When we're not sure if our, if our forgiveness is full and free through Jesus Christ, we feel like we need to kind of hide things and keep things in the closet. But when God has forgiven us of all of our sins... And that is settled. We can live before others in honesty. First John chapter one, verse five says, this is the message we've heard from him and now declare to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have not sinned, if we, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And then it goes on to say that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, part of walking in the light with God through Jesus Christ is being honest about our struggles and our failures and our sins. Being honest with God, we can't hide it from anyways, right? But also being honest with others. And it frees us to do this. We can confess our sins to God and others and not be crushed by them because we know that Jesus already already was crushed.
for them. So it helps us to be honest. It frees us to be honest in relationship with others. There's something strange, I think, when people think that forgiveness, God's full and free forgiveness, all of a sudden means that God now has become less powerful and less able to see what's actually going on than before. Like God doesn't see into our hearts and know what's going on there. And it seems equally strange to me that, that we don't understand that now that we're in relationship with God, we just want to be honest with him like a father and a son or a daughter. And that's how we grow in our relationship with God. It's through forgiveness. And it's as we come to him in honesty, confessing our sins, not to a judge in order to receive pardon, because that's already handled. But to a father to receive forgiveness. Imagine a, a marriage relationship. <coughs> and this couple, they are committed to the end. I mean, they are, the, the legal, from a legal standpoint, they are not calling it quits no matter what. But the husband is rude, and disregards his wife, doesn't care about her, um, makes snide remarks, shows little disregard for his wife, if any at all. Now, the wife is committed, okay? She's not going to give up on this. She is not filing for divorce. Legally, things are sound. But relationally, things are a mess, aren't they? Right? And in the same way with us and God, when we, don't, when we just don't have this, this transparency and this honesty, and we try to put on this front, and I, I find myself doing this. Sometimes I, I, I get down before God or just find myself in prayer before God, and I, about midway through my prayer, I'm like, why am I talking like this? Why am I behaving like this? Doesn't he know who I am? We're free. All of our sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. So we can come to God as one of his little children. Here's something else. Here's another implication of forgiveness, full and free. It enables you to forgive others. It empowers you to forgive others. C.S. Lewis said this. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. If you live long enough and you just put yourself around people and want to have relationships, before long you're going to be faced with an issue or situation where you need to forgive. And... Forgiveness, I want to say this. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I want to back up and talk for just a moment. Forgiveness is not easy, but it is simple. It's not easy to forgive anyone of any sizable transgression. It's just, right, we've been hurt. Something happened. Maybe it's been going on for a long time. And just to forgive, that sounds hard. Well, it's not easy. But it, in a sense, it is simple. 
Here's what I mean. Paul Paul says this in, in Ephesians 4. He says, Be tenderhearted to one another, forgiving others, just as God has forgiven you in Christ. Forgive others just as God has forgiven you through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven a ton by the God of the universe. If he has forgiven us this unpayable debt, it is inconceivable. If we really know this, if it really lands on us like, yes, I'm forgiven and alive. If it lands on us, it's inconceivable to think that we would not forgive another who has wronged us. Inconceivable. I told this story earlier about Jesus, this parable of this, this, um, this servant who was forgiven by this great master. The story goes on and says this servant who is forgiven like a billion dollars, okay? He goes and finds somebody else who owes him a hundred bucks. He says, where's my hundred bucks? The guy says, I, I don't have it. Listen, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll give it to you when I get a chance. And the guy says, forget it. I'm throwing you. I'm taking you to jail. And word got back to the master who had just forgiven this guy a billion dollars. And this, the point of the story is we've been forgiven this insurmountable debt. And it is insane. When we know that, and I'm not saying it's not, I'm not saying it's easy. But when we know that, it's, it's insane to think that we will st- stiffen our necks, And say, I will not forgive that person. So, some here have been sinned against massively. So, what would I, how would I encourage you in this? Here's how I would encourage you is that you fix your attention on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the full and free forgiveness of God by God of all of your sins. Every single one of them. Not one of them is still being held against you. And ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show me this. Make the, plant this on my soul. Make this real to me. So that my heart is softened toward this person. It is so dangerous. And many people do this. Who live Life remembering all of the debts that others owe them. Right? Embittered and unforgiving of those who have wronged them. Here's another implication. Forgiveness, full and free, creates joyful worship. I mean, it creates it. It makes it spring up in our hearts. Listen to David in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. How blessed is that person? Massively. Right? John Calvin commenting on 
these verses says, this exclamation springs from the fervent affection of the heart as well as from serious consideration. That sounds like worship to me, right? Serious consideration. God has forgiven me all my sins and springing from the heart exclamation to God for what he's done. It should be no surprise that many of the most beloved songs that have stood the test of time for decades or even centuries are those pointing us to the cross and Christ's sacrifice for all of our sins. Uh, my, my favorite, personally, is Jesus Paid It All. I love that song. The last, the last um, verse says, And when before the, the throne I stand in him, namely Christ, complete, Jesus died my soul to save, and my lips will still repeat. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Here's another implication. Full and free forgiveness by God through Jesus Christ emboldens our defiance towards Satan's accusations. Brothers and sisters, I hope you know that there is a, a real devil who really hates us, who really wants to destroy our faith. And what he does, Revelation tells us, is he accuses us, believers, night and day. It's like he just doesn't ever give up. He never takes a moment off. Now, he's not omnipresent, right? It's not like he can do that in all of our lives directly, Satan. But Satan and his demons accuse us bring accusations against us because of past sins and because of present struggles and failures. But when you know that you're forgiven, all of your sins are forgiven, you can be defiant in the face of the devil's accusations. You can be like what Romans 8 says. Who is going to bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to bring a charge against me? I'm already justified in Christ. I'm forgiven of all of my sins. So defiantly, quote those words, or something like that, when the devil comes with his accusations. Here's another implication. It makes you brave in life. It makes you brave. I think sometimes... When I feel timid, it's because I'm trying to position myself to make sure things are going to work out in the end. The end of this situation or the end of life. But if we know that the biggest problem we will ever face for all eternity is already settled. It gives us great confidence to live brave, courageously. And boldly in life. And finally, here's, here's an implication. Um, it, re, it revives love in God's people. It revives love for God. And it revives love for others. Let me just put it plainly. Forgiven people are loving people. 
it's, it's, it's taken the edge off of our sharp and heart. It's taken the edge of our sharp, off of our sharp hearts. It just tenderizes our hearts. It melts us. It just makes us different people when we know that the God of the universe has forgiven us and we have sinned horrifically. And he's forgiven us of all of our sins. People that are people that don't know forgiveness. Maybe some here today, and I plead with you to open up your heart to Christ. They tend to be critical, harsh, generally unloving. And the reason for this is because they assume that this is how God is toward them. They're not sure what God thinks of them. Is God harsh toward them? They think he might be. And it comes out in the way that they treat others. What does God think about us? Well, in Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. He is our father in heaven. He loves us with an everlasting love. We sang earlier, he is For us, he is not against us. His heart burns with love for his people, those who are found in Christ. Jesus telling a story, or actually not a story, he's he's sitting with his disciples, with a group of people, I think his disciples and some others. And um, there's a woman there. And she says that she's a woman of the city, which I think we could presume she was a prostitute. She was an unclean woman. She she was a woman that none of us here would condone of her behavior, okay? And she came to Jesus and she bowed at his feet. And she was weeping and she she was weeping tears on his feet and using her long hair to wipe his feet and, you know, the the disciples there, maybe like me, is kind of like, ooh, that's just a little strange. She's just like, really loves him. And they say, don't you know, I think it was a Pharisee actually that said, don't you know who this woman is? And Jesus tells a story and he says, if, if a man has two people that owe him money and one man owes him a ton and another guy owes him just a little bit and he forgives both of them, who's going to love this master more, this wealthy man? So the Pharisee said, well, of course, it's going to be the one who owed him more money. And Jesus said, you're right. And see this woman here, Her sins are great and they are forgiven and therefore she loves. For those who sin, those who are forgiven much, love much. Now the reality is that none of us really should look at others and say, you know what, that person is really sin bad and a lot. But we should pray for the grace that we would see our own sin And all that God has forgiven us. Because I don't know about you, but I want to love much. Therefore, I want to know that I've been forgiven much. Do you walk around loaded down with guilt and sin? Unsure of what God thinks of you. The new covenant says, I will forgive all their trespasses. I will not remember their sins anymore. And this is forever. And this is full. And this is free. And all you and I can do 
is just with empty, open hands say, yes, thank you. I'll take that. And leave rejoicing and living in it and never the same.